I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello there and welcome to It's an S-Pod Thing, the podcast revisiting every episode of S-Club 7's insane TV show. I'm Sophie Davis, and joining me on this journey from Miami to Spain will be a range of guests who may or may not have seen the show before. Either way, we're going to analyse it in more detail than anyone ever asked for. If you're an S-Club fan like me and remember watching the show, hopefully this podcast will bring it all back to you. So, my guest on the podcast today is Rob Holly. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks. How's it going with you? Yeah, not too bad. I'm, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, to watching a bit of Trashy Telly and talking about it. <laughs> so to start with, I'd just like to know, what is your history with S Club 7? And have you ever seen this TV show before? So I guess I would have been, ah, oh, this came out in 1999. So I must have been about 17 when it was on. I vaguely mm-hmm. remember it being on telly. I think because I was sort of beyond secondary school age, but still only in sixth form, it wasn't necessarily the type of thing that I'd be looking out for. And I think I'd probably be watching stuff like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Sweet Valley High, which was in that sort of like post CBBC slot. And um, I think S Club Miami was always on before that sort of stuff that was more aimed at the older teens. So I did watch bits of it, but I'm a big S Club fan. I I loved them from the beginning. And um, I think it was a really great time for music when you had all this kind of like at one end, Britney Spears and S Club 7. On the other, you had like, you know, the Manic Street Preachers and Radiohead (laughs) and everything was sort of swirling about together and, and informed one another. Well, maybe like S Club didn't inform Radiohead, but you know what I mean. It was uh, it was a, a very cool time for for pop music. So I loved all the S Club stuff. Um, but yeah, I wasn't perhaps a, a stan of the TV show so much. But I did. It's funny. I was thinking about this. I remember that there was a show before Miami Seven, um, which was basically the same premise but not as good, called North and South. No, No Sweat. The band was called North and South. So I think the reason that I didn't really kind of get into it very much, even though I was a bit, because I was older, but also was because I think they'd done this format before on CBBC. And I felt a bit like, you know what, I'm 17. I don't need this nonsense in my life. But um, yeah, it's (laughs) been a real treat to go back and watch it. Yeah, to be fair, if you'd said to me that you were watching this as a 17-year-old, I probably would have judged you for it. Yep, (laughs) and you'd have been right too. So today we're talking about Miami 7, episode 11. It's called Bermuda Triangle, 
and it aired on CBBC on the 17th of June 1999. Uh, This is a strange one, which I've mentioned on the podcast before because it's one that stuck in my mind. Basically, the band go back in time to the 1970s via the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) But um, at the beginning of the episode, it's kind of business as usual, really. They're all sort of doing their chores around the hotel and having a bit of a moan. Some of them are cleaning the pool. Some of them are tidying up. Rachel has a bit of a freak out because she thinks she's seen a spider, but it's actually a mop. Um, (laughs) They spend a lot of this show kind of complaining about having to do work. And in this episode, they're specifically complaining about how they haven't had a day off in weeks. Uh, They kind of march over to Howard's office to confront him, which again is something that seems to happen every week. They're always furious about something. (laughs) So they go in and start screaming at him, but he's sort of distracted, isn't he? He's got a picture of a a woman that he's sort of uh, gazing at. Catherine, Kathy, he's not very happy. And um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a paper thin plot on this one. I don't know how other episodes have been, but um, this one... (laughs) seems particularly light on uh, any any kind of structure it's more about the, the, the action i guess isn't it but mm-hmm. yeah they find him in a not particularly good way it reminds me of um have you seen spice world yes yes there's a scene in spice world that it seems that they've just directly ripped off and that's the one where they're all on the stage in the royal albert hall having to go at richard e grant saying you know i've had enough we can't work like this blah 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 um and that's just the exact same scene that we're getting in in howard's uh office here so it was, it was yeah that wouldn't that surprise <laughs> me if they just lifted it from spice world like ah, no one will notice the kids won't be able to tell nah. <laughs> And he, they ask him for a day off and he says, yes. He's kind of like, yeah, sure, whatever, which is very out of character for him. And he starts being all sort of dramatic, saying things like, I'm doomed to an eternity of unrelenting misery <laughs> and despair. <laughs> it's quite extreme. And this kind of leads to him saying that maybe his life would have turned out better if he'd been married, but apparently this woman had to ruin everything. And it's, oh, it's an ex that he's looking at a picture of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the unrelenting despair and misery. And then he it's like he uses a weird British phrase saying uh, sarcastically that he'll be just ducky, which I thought was a bit oh, weird. Yeah. So, yeah. Whoever wrote it was like, ah, oh, that'll be fine. Just fling it in there. I mean, it doesn't seem that any of them have any sort of characterization that differentiates, you know, not just between any of the S clubbers, but the, (laughs) but Howard, uh, the other guy, it's just, it's all the same stuff, which is one of the reasons why it's one of the greatest TV shows of all time, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Classic. (laughs) He's uh, talking about this ex called Catherine and Tina goes, Oh, like the boat, because apparently Howard has a boat named Catherine, but this is the first time we've heard of it. So it just is a bit surprising when she just goes, oh, like the boat. It's like, oh, we expected to know what that means. They haven't really kind of seeded this in previous episodes. Like this is the first time we've heard of Catherine in any way. And this is the point where Bradley asks if they can borrow the boat for the day. 
And because Howard's in a weird sort of mood, he says that they can, which he never usually would. Yeah. And well, good for them. It's nice to see the S Club have unionised and have got their day off and can get on the boat, which I'm assuming they would have cleaned at some point as well. So maybe that's how they know about the boat. But Yeah, they've probably been sort of angling to be able to use it. And he, he mm. would never usually agree to that. He doesn't trust them at all. Rightly so. But and the other thing is when you get to see the boat, it's not particularly nice and it looks quite cramped to have seven people on there i don't think it's like a sort of luxury yacht type thing that would get me excited but um you know it's just a dodgy looking runaround i'd be quite annoyed if i was catherine got named after that yeah it's probably like a health and safety nightmare you're probably supposed to have like three (laughs) people on that boat and they've crammed all seven of them into it (laughs) oh bless them they're on their way to the boat and they bump into Howard's brother Marvin and he's quite surprised that Howard has given them the day off but then he's like oh of course it's the 13th it's the anniversary of the day that Catherine broke his heart and uh, this really bugs me this is (laughs) Marvin goes you know I think he'd be a different person today if she never rejected him (laughs) and it's like this is a thread running throughout the whole episode the idea that Oh, it's not he, his fault he's a bad guy. It was this woman who rejected him. It's her fault. Absolutely disgraceful. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that, really. it's uh, he's, he's a very small-minded, petty guy. And, uh, well, as we, we'll see later on, it all sort of um, spectacularly backfires for him. So I don't think he would have been any different, to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But I like how the band buy into this as well, because Tina's like, yeah, maybe that is the reason why he's such a Wally. It's like, Aww. no, it wasn't Catherine's fault at all. It's not <laughs> It's not her to blame. It's Howard's fault. <laughs> Absolutely 100% Howard's fault. Hey, where are you going? Howard gave us the day off. He did? Oh my gosh, is he all right? Well, I don't know. He was speaking instead of shouting. Yeah, and he was spelling a lot. And he kept on going about some girl called Catherine. Oh, oh. Of course, it's the 13th. Unlucky for some. Unlucky for Howard. You see, today's the anniversary of the day she broke his heart. Yeah, he's never forgotten it. Oh, that's so romantic. You know, I think he'd be a different person today if she never rejected him. Really? Yeah, you should have seen him when he was around her. He was actually nice. (laughs) I find that hard to believe. Oh, it's true. Maybe she's the reason he's such a wally. Do you think that's true? I guess we'll never know. So they're all figuring out how to start this boat and a sort of really stereotypical fisherman appears, doesn't he? Yeah, I was like, is this referencing something or is this just a completely crazy character that they found from somewhere really, really cheaply? Because it seems really out of place. I don't know if they were trying to be creepy with it or it references another film. Maybe it's not that intelligent. I don't know. Yeah, he looks like if you went to a fancy dress shop and bought a sort of a fisherman outfit that's yeah. what you'd get it's like a, a yellow <laughs> mac and a big yellow hat and like a stripy shirt and he's being all kind of mystical like you don't want to be going out there today it's the 13th anything could happen the tide is turning and they're not really that bothered but then he mentions the bermuda triangle and tells them to beware of it and, yeah. and Paul goes, what, the Bermuda Triangle where boats and planes disappear? He's <laughs> like, thanks for that, Paul. Thanks for that exposition for the kids. 
Yeah, it's like they explain the actual Bermuda Triangle, but they don't explain the Barry Manilow reference to Bermuda Triangle in this, which I think would have been more useful as a 17-year-old. It would have been more useful now as a 38-year-old. I had to go and listen to that song to see if there was any reason for, for like throwing it in there beyond the fact that it's called Bermuda Triangle. But no, that's that's just a reference Throwaway reference for no yeah, reason whatsoever. Same here. I didn't understand that at all until I Googled it. And this comes up a lot. Just who was that line for? <laughs> Did you go and listen to the track though? No, I didn't. No, I'll have to now. Oh, you're in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> but funnily enough, it's a, it's another one of those um, kind of echoing the actual program. It's a song about a bloke moaning about a woman and how his like preferred holiday destination has been completely ruined by her getting her own way. And you just think, oh, come on. Maybe that, or maybe that was deliberate. Maybe it was a deliberate reference to a song Possibly. where a man is complaining about a woman. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's hidden depths to this. I think so. I'd like to think so anyway. <laughs> I was just going to say that the fisherman does have a good point, though, because once they manage to get on that boat and suss out how to use it, those waters look really, really choppy. Like, you, you wouldn't want to go out in them. I have no idea. I know they've only got that one day off to, to go out and have some fun, but you just would not get on that out in that sea. It looks really rough. Yeah, they get completely lost, don't they? Like, straight mm. away. And they're all kind of like, oh no, what's that up ahead? And they say, it looks like some sort of big mist, which I don't think you would put the word big with mist in in real life, really, would you? (laughs) Scotch mist, yes. Big mist, no. (laughs) But it is like a kind of effect, isn't it? It's just like a block of mist, almost like a tornado or something. But they go into the big mist and they all pass out. When they wake up, they've all got sort of massive hair and 70s style (laughs) outfits. So there's flares and massive collars. Joe is dressed kind of like Agnita from ABBA because she's got a blonde long wig on as well. They look mad, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And they're all kind of saying things about uh, making fun of one another's appearance because they're wearing all this daggy 70s clothing. In fact, they don't use the word daggy. Bradley says something later on. What is it? Skaggy or something. Skaggy or something. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all like making fun of this clothing, and I'm sat there sort of laughing a little bit at it. And the the, the terror, the kind of realization that they're making fun of outfits that they were they're closer in time to now than we are to when Miami Seven went out. It's a oh, bit weird. Wow. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, I think they're literally like what 19 years away from the 70s and we're something like 21 years away from 1999 yeah because when i was looking up the band on wikipedia a while ago i was surprised to see you know some of them have got birth years in the late 70s and that seems weird to me because in my in my mind they're just kind of eternally really young but yeah of course some of them were born in the late 70s yeah totally totally i always saw them as a bit older than me so i'm not that shocked but at the same time you know when your your kind of reference points are so locked in time it's just oh it's crazy we're all slowly dying (laughs) sophie that's the problem (laughs) (laughs) oh dear (laughs) 
Anyway. <laughs> so, that, so they've got this sudden change of appearance. And I love how Rachel goes, we must have been through the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, of course. Oh, <laughs> but man. is the Bermuda Triangle known for sending people back in time? I should have researched that, actually. I didn't think to, yeah. but I don't, I'm pretty sure it's not. It's just people vanishing. I don't think so. Either. Where is Bermuda in relation to like Miami? Because it was quite close if uh you know in terms of that journey. yeah i think i think that is something that's accurate in this episode <laughs> i think the location is around that sort of area in the ocean um oh. but yeah i love how that's rachel's assumption like, oh we will because we look like this now we must have gone through the bermuda triangle <laughs> uh, the boat hits something and I quite like this line from John. He goes, oh no, we're sinking and we're going to be found dead in these clothes. <laughs> oh, bless John. Oh, I love him so much. Oh no! Look what the sea has done to Bradley's hair. Oh my gosh, look what he's done to John's clothes. What's happened? Who did this to me? Where did these come from? What was this all over my face? Ooh, what's this all over my head? What's going on? What are these? We must have been through the Bermuda Triangle. And our fashion sense has totally disappeared. Spooky. Oh no, we're sinking. And we're going to be found dead in these clothes. It's a nightmare. No, it's all right. Look, we're at a jetty. It's just the constant references to kind of belittling what people were wearing in the 70s. I just can't get over it. Like, guys... <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, they're not sinking. It turns out they're, they're at a jetty. They get off the boat and they're at the hotel, but it's now the 70s. Uh, there's mm. a party going on, but the band are being really quite slow to catch on, aren't they? That they've actually gone back in time. Yeah, they don't seem to to to, to, to get it at all. They, they walk in, there's like loads of fairy lights, and that's sort of the only indicator until we get into the party that we're in the 1970s. It's the fairy lights. And then it's when they get in and they start seeing, I think, who is it the first person they see? It's Howard dressed as his mum, playing his mum in drag. <laughs> yeah, they see it's Howard and Marvin's parents and they're played by the same two actors who play Howard and Marvin. Yeah. So Howard and Marvin related. Have I missed this? Yeah. They're brothers. It's not really right. clear. I think it, okay. get, it gets mentioned in like episode one, but then after that, it's pretty much like they're just colleagues, but they are brothers. Ah, I thought Marvin was like his lackey or something because he seems so subverse, uh, sub subservient and uh, just completely mm -hmm. nice compared to Howard. That makes sense, I guess, in a, in a weird sort of way. Oh, that's a bit twisted. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> they see that there's a party going on and they're kind yeah. of like, oh, Howard didn't tell us there was a party happening this evening. <laughs> and one of them says, he didn't tell us he was redecorating either. How has he done it all in one <laughs> afternoon? And Paul is actually the one who says, we must have gone back in time. And Joe goes, I weren't born yesterday, you know. And Paul goes, no, you weren't born for another couple of years yet. Amazing. <laughs> I think Joe's probably my second favourite actress out of all of them. Definitely yeah. Hannah first, then Joe, because they can sort of, uh, for as much as we make fun of it, they can sort of deliver the lines somehow to make them sound so sort of incredibly dumb, but in that lovely, likable way. Whereas <laughs> sometimes when a line is given to John, he just sounds a little bit snippy. Um, you know, there's definitely a hierarchy of, of who gets the, the best things to say. 
I reckon anyway. Yeah, they try to kind of portray John as the intelligent one a lot of the time, mm. but that just kind of translates into he gets a lot of very patronizing things yeah. to say to the others. So it's not great. Yeah. Patronizing, slightly camp. Uh, I'm not sure what attracted me to him <laughs> back in those days. <laughs> it's certainly a marker. You had to have, um, you know, uh, a, a gay character. So if that's, uh, that's what they were trying to do, then it certainly worked. But um, yeah. <laughs> well, in the context of this show, he is a uh, straight yeah. So, yeah, because of course, of course we couldn't know about anything like that. No, absolutely not. So there's a banner saying class of 75. So it's a graduation party. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Howard and Marvin's parents are there because they, I guess, are running the hotel at this point. Uh, the mum goes up to the band and is like, oh, are you the band? You're on stage in two hours. And it's just the most kind of nails on a chalkboard voice I've ever heard. It's like a Marge Simpson sort of thing, because I quite like that guy who plays Howard, but he's not great at putting on a woman's voice. Unless his cotton socks are trying. Are you and the other kids the band? Uh, I'm not sure. Are we? Probably. Why not? Wonderful. Wonderful. Get yourself sorted out. You're on in two hours and you'd better be good. Uh, what my wife is trying to say is, uh, welcome to our son's party and uh, thank you for coming. Whatever, whatever. Oh. So they, they all go off and like explore the party where everyone is just dancing to the sort of worst music. <laughs> it sounds kind of like stock music as if you if you were looking for 70s stock music, like it's just a guy on a keyboard or something. Yeah, yeah. See, they should have been dancing to S Club. That's what uh, that would have made it good. Yeah, I don't remember what they were playing, to be honest. I think that bit sort of washed over me. It's just kind of generic music and they're dancing really enthusiastically in a way that I don't think anyone would to this kind of weird sort of stock music. Oh. (laughs) Maybe they thought, oh, we'll get some 70s songs in there later and then they couldn't afford it or something possibly. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure they can't afford the rights to to many ABBA songs. They've got that that one shot and they've used it. So (laughs) that's why we're getting the, uh, the Casio keyboard demo yeah so we we see young howard which is the stuff of nightmares he again it's the same actor but he's wearing a sort of big curly wig like shirley temple or something Mm. with red trousers and a ridiculous sort of hat and weirdly john says he's the only person i've ever met who actually looked better (laughs) in the 70s and I kind of disagree with that because yeah. he looks like he looks like a, a munchkin from the Wizard of Oz or something. It's yeah, horrific. He, he looks a bit like wee Jimmy Cranky or something. There's something not yes. quite right there. <laughs> they put absolutely no effort in making him look younger. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's pretty grim to watch. It's traumatizing. He looks yeah, like you say, he does look like wee Jimmy <laughs> Cranky. I didn't think of that. <laughs> oh, but and this is where we get to meet the famous Catherine, don't we? Yeah. We get none of her backstory. She's um, just sort of plain and nice. No personality. I think her, actually her personality is not liking Howard. That's it. That's the one thing we know about her. Um, Oh, apart from the fact that she sort of falls in love with Bradley, but honestly at that party, who wouldn't? Uh, He's, Absolutely gorgeous. Love him. <laughs> yeah, he 
Howard is being sort of like a bit sickly sweet towards mm. her and she's clearly not interested. And this is the point where John comes up with an idea and he suggests that maybe if they can actually stop Catherine from from rejecting Howard, maybe Howard could be a better person in the future. Because again, we're, we're hanging all of this on the fact that <laughs> if this woman doesn't reject him, maybe he'll be nice in the future because that's how it works. <laughs> Oh dear, absolutely. But then would you, which Howard would you prefer? The Howard of the 1970s? I'm not saying like as a date or anything, but like the Howard of the 1970s. Shag, marry, kill. <laughs> if you had to have one, I think I'd probably opt for the the sort of evil capitalist Howard rather than the whiny uh throwing um what was it bumblebees waft the scent of roses in your face catherine or something i just absolutely don't like this howard so yeah it's creepy and yeah he just it's just the fact that he looks like a like an adult baby or something yeah. <laughs> like just this sort of 60 year old man dressed up as a child because <laughs> i guess how old is he supposed to be at this point do we think it's a high school graduation or a uni graduation i'm not it's not really made clear is it i think so well if these if the s clubbers are between the ages of like 18 and 22 and mm-hmm. they've gone back in time he's old enough to be to have had a relationship in the 1970s. So he's got to be at least 27 years older than what he's playing, (laughs) I think. I'm not entirely sure. It's very confusing. I mean, they play fast and loose with the rules of time travel here. It's not as as accurate as something as like Goodnight Sweetheart, where (laughs) they've gone to great historical lengths. Everything is just a couple of weeks and disco lights and uh, make it up as you go along. But yeah, it's it's one of the more nonsensical bits about it. Yeah, because I was just thinking, I think no matter what age he's playing i think the clothes are too young because it's yeah. the sort of clothes you dress like a six-year-old in it's ri- i'd love to know who chose that <laughs> god, god only knows <laughs> i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And yeah, speaking of the timeline of this, we get to see Elvis now. He's at the party. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm guessing you've double-checked when Elvis died, right? (laughs) And he sort of, he picks up a big plate of food, doesn't he? And Tina's kind of like, oh, you should lay off that sort of thing. (laughs) And he just sort of brushes her off and then he's gone. Yeah. Which would, to me, suggest that actually trying to tinker with the past doesn't have any impact on the future. So they should have learned their lesson really from Elvis Presley, not Howard. Yeah. They don't really have any concept of that, do they? The fact that if you alter things, it can affect like everything in the future you know just by being in the 70s they could come back to 1999 and like everything could have been different (laughs) i would have liked to see that if it was now like a sort of apocalyptic show (laughs) they get back from the 70s and everything has changed oh or maybe though maybe they have changed things maybe tina barrett uh trying to take away that plate of sandwiches or whatever from elvis presley just made him really sniffy about it and that's what tipped him over the edge so perhaps, Maybe. 
maybe it's a different timeline. Who knows? But uh, yeah, that, that would be good if they went back and they'd actually caused all of these like deaths and stuff. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I want to follow up. <laughs> and this is where Bradley bumps into Catherine and starts sort of flirting with her, but not very well, because he says, uh, you look nice even in that. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where he says Skaggy, actually, because she's like, oh, do you not like my dress? And he goes, oh, it's fine now, but in the future, it might be considered a bit Skaggy. What is Skaggy? Because I have never heard that word. I'm guessing Bradley's from like London because his accent's quite Southern. Um, yeah. I've never heard that. I don't know if it's a, a regional thing or... Yeah, there's some weird slang that comes up in this show. There's a bit later on in this episode where he's talking about Catherine and he says um, she's tick. Tick? Yeah, as if that means like fit or something, but oh. I'm not sure where that... And it comes up in another episode as well, actually, that I watched the other day, as if that's a slang term that was common at the time, but I don't think it was. I really don't think it was. It's like Bradley, stop trying to make tick happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> and she asks him what else might happen in the future. Yes. He tells her, <laughs> Michael Jackson's going to turn white, marry Elvis Presley's daughter and live in Neverland with a pet monkey. And she's like, that's ridiculous, which is fair, to be yeah, honest. Absolutely fair. And um, God, to think like, it, and again, like, it's so insane that we're now 20 years later and that's not even the weirdest stuff that's come out about Michael, about Michael Jackson. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bradley could have had a whole massive list and everything would have been bizarre. <laughs> oh, but I want them to get together. I think that would have been the um, the best resolution to this episode, a Bradley-Catherine relationship. A Bratherinship. It could have been like the Doctor and River song in Doctor oh. Who, where they keep meeting up in different time periods. Yeah. Oh, maybe that they would have do. been a nice love story. Ah, oh, I would have followed that through. I mean, I've not seen Seeing Double yet, so I've no idea how this all ends in the S Club universe. But uh, I'm guessing Catherine doesn't yeah. come back. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they've missed a trick. They could have had an episode yeah. each series where they go back in time to a different period and Bradley keeps meeting Catherine. Oh. And she's like, Bradley, you haven't changed at all. Maybe I'll write the fanfic for that. Oh, yes, definitely. I'm going to say, I did Google to see what else Catherine had been in as well. And yeah. she was in there something about Mary. Yeah, that was like her first credit on IMDb, wasn't it? Which is quite yeah. a big thing. But then Huge. not much after that. No, not much for many of the actors after this. Though. And I did I did Google her as well, because sometimes Google comes up with other things and you see, oh, they're doing this now. But I couldn't really find anything for her, to be honest. Hi. Hi. I'm Catherine. Hi, I'm, I'm Bradley. Great hair. Oh, thanks. You look great, even in that. But don't, don't you like it? No, I love it. It's just that maybe in the future it might look a bit, you know, um, skaggy. What's skaggy? Oh, it's a futuristic word. They might use in the uh, future. How do you know? Can, can you predict the future or something? In a way, yeah. Really? So what else might happen in the future? Well, Michael Jackson's going to turn white, marry Elvis Presley's daughter, and live in the Neverland with his pet monkey. That's ridiculous, Bradley. That'll never happen. Hi. Hi, John. This is Catherine. Yeah, yeah, I know. You do? Um, can I speak to you for a moment? No. It's really important. Well, so is this. No, I, I don't think you understand. I have to speak to you now. Excuse us. H hurry back, okay? 
And then, yeah, all of the like celebrity impersonators in this episode only have one IMDb credit, and it's for this. <laughs> <laughs> I, although I did see, not going to, uh, well, we'll get to her in a moment, but one of them is a, she was like a, a health therapist, but like called, it was Sunnyside Health Therapy or something. She had some kind of weird, I don't know. Oh. Okay. I looked for her and I couldn't find anything. But the Elvis guy seems to still be doing that sort of work because he's got a website uh, and there's like a list of things that he's done. And one of the top ones is S Club 7 sitcom. Amazing. (laughs) Career highlights. I guess it is if you're an Elvis impersonator. I don't know how much further you can go. Uh, Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, he's got all sorts of things about corporate events on there. One of them says uh, presidential inauguration parties. And I was thinking, hmm, I wonder which, which ones. One? Yeah. <laughs> I think we can maybe guess. <laughs> Who would want an Elvis impersonator? <laughs> John sort of drags Bradley away from this conversation because well, he wants to initiate this plan to get Catherine to love Howard. And yeah, Howard is looking on at Catherine and Bradley talking quite sort of jealously. Uh, John explains the plan to Bradley and Bradley's like, oh, but I like her. And Joe goes, you like all girls. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just let him be. Oh, sorry. I I know, I know exactly how this ends. So I know it's not going to end up with Bradley and Catherine getting together, but that's what I was rooting for, for the whole episode. Yeah, definitely. She she deserves to be happy. She shouldn't have to be forced to be with some horrible man who she doesn't even like. And also, do you think that, like, I'm not being funny, but if I was part of a seven-piece pop group that had spent most of their summer doing menial tasks around a pretty dodgy-looking motel, if I was transported back in time to the 1970s where things were a bit nicer... And somebody showed that much interest in me. I think I'd probably walk away from the other members of S Club and explore that avenue. I mean, you yeah, would, wouldn't you? They, Time travel. It's... Yeah, they could have left Bradley there. They could have left him behind, <laughs> and then they have an encounter with him in 1999, where he's like an old right. man. Yeah, I'd be definitely up for watching that. But um, hmm. Again, they could not, have done more with this time travel premise. They could have done. I do you know what? I suspect they just got the rights to an ABBA song and they were like, right, we have to, the whole episode has to be written around this one ABBA song. That's what we're doing. Away with the plot. Doesn't matter about anything else. And, you know, most of it was lifted from either Back to the Future or, um, you know, other similar things to it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I think it was the ABBA song, <laughs> which we'll get to in a minute. Um, Paul is dancing with Cher. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I screamed. It's literally the worst share lookalike I've seen in my entire life. I like unless they'd have said that it was. If they hadn't have said it was share, I would have had no idea who that was. She looks more like yeah. Lady Gaga than Cher. It's like, yeah, it's I think crazy. she looks like. Um, do you know who Jessica Nappett is? Who's like a comedy actress. No, who's that? She she looks like her basically. I think. Let me just um, Google Jessica Nappett. Okay. <laughs> But because, yeah, he's dancing with Cher and he says, oh, you're Cher, my mate fancies you and points at John. (laughs) And then she looks at him and goes, sorry, too old for me. Do you know what that's referring to? Because I'm not sure, to be honest. So I think, and I'm not sure, but do you remember the film Mask that she did? Yes, I haven't seen it, but I know of it. Yeah. 
So the the actor in that, the main actor, was uh, a guy called Eric Stoltz, I think. Yeah, a ginger guy, yeah. Yeah, and I think, was he young at the time? And maybe that's what they were referencing? I don't know. Well, the thing with Cher is she's so... She echoes through the ages so much that a reference in 1999 is just meaningless now we're, you know, 20 <laughs> years in the future and would have meant nothing 20 years before. So I don't really understand what they were they were getting at. Yeah, because um, I thought, may, oh, maybe at the time she was like married to a younger man or something, but I looked it up and it doesn't uh, seem to be the case. And she doesn't. And she doesn't seem to have some sort of reputation for dating younger men, and it's a weird implications as well. Because at this point in time, John is sixteen, so yeah. they're implying that Cher <laughs> likes her men under sixteen. Oh yeah, um, I, I just don't know. She would have been, she would have been big at the time with Believe, right? That was nineteen ninety eight. So mm, yeah, I guess so. Maybe I just blocked out all of the stories that were swirling around her beyond that. I do know that she was living in <laughs> Wapping at the point, which, uh, at that point, which um, is, right. is an incredible share flat, uh, an incredible share <laughs> fact. What do you mean, not living in Miami? <laughs> not living in Miami, she would have been in Wapping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shocking! Uh, we see Hannah and Rachel talking to Catherine. And they're both kind of going, oh, we both have fancy Howard so much. Whoever gets him is a lucky lady, but she's still more interested in Bradley, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, she's she's not on the good ship Howard, I'm afraid. There'll be no boat named after him in her harbour. Yeah, she says that he's too suffocating. And the yeah. girls are like, don't be ridiculous. He's everyone's type. And I quite like this bit where they're saying, oh, he's mature. He's generous. He's a real gentleman. But while they're saying all of that, we can see him in the background kind of, um, well, he pulls down Marvin's trousers and then steals mm. some of his food. And then he like pinches some poor girl's bum and it's like okay so he wasn't that nice back then was he yeah he's not a catch they i I would have stopped helping him long before this point let's just put it that Mm -hmm. way and this is the point as well where john is talking to madonna (laughs) yeah so again (laughs) how old would madonna have been like 15 or 16 uh, yeah, Quite I think young. I looked it up and I think she was like at uni at the time or something. So yeah, about 18, something like that. Right. And she would have been in New York anyway. So again, we're playing quite <laughs> fast and loose with geography here. And she was dressed like 80s Madonna, which sort of made <laughs> not very much sense either. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, it's bizarre. I wonder if Madonna and Cher and Elvis were ever in the same place at the same time, because it's a weird thought. I bet you that Cher and Elvis were. I would bet my my life on that. Madonna, probably. probably. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, this Madonna scene is really weird. There's all these clips of John singing all these different Madonna songs to her as if it's going to mean something. Yeah. And she's just like, what are you talking about? And he goes, oh, you'll figure it out one day. <laughs> And it's kind of like, is, is this implying that he's actually given her the ideas for all these songs? Possibly. <laughs> or I don't understand where Madonna is going to go from here. Again, this is very Gary Sparrow from Goodnight Sweetheart, where they go back, they pretend <laughs> that they've written the songs or they, they kind of instill them in there and then they come back in the future or something. But I don't think that John Lee from S Club's got the capacity to write Papa Don't Preach. I'm sorry. As as talented as he is, and as much as I love the S Club back catalogue, nah. Wow, that's a bold <laughs> statement. <laughs> 
And also in that Madonna scene, she's like chewing gum throughout it in a really noisy way, in a, in a way that I feel like they should have really edited out because it's really <laughs> annoying. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, but again, is that related to, is that the one thing that they can think of that is like Madonna? I mean, chewing gum? I, I just, yeah, there are references that had gone through that Bermuda Triangle as well. It's so weird. And then, yeah, speaking of songs from different times they now sing dancing queen (laughs) which as far as i understand was released later than 1975 yeah so i was trying to work this out um dancing queen was let me just check my notes here dancing queen made the u.s top 10 in december 1976 (laughs) tina barrett was born in september 1976 (laughs) Uh, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't around in America at the time, but again, we're playing with the timelines here. So if they have listened to it before and they know that song and it hasn't been released, then it wouldn't be weird that they were performing it because no one would have known about ABBA. No. Yeah. I guess it's like that that bit in Back to the Future where he's playing, um, what uh, what song is it? Yeah, that's it. Johnny Be Good. And they're all enjoying it and then they kind of turn it would have been good if they turned on the band in this so and they, and they said well, yeah you're not ready for dancing queen you've got another year to go before you'll accept this crazy music oh why didn't they write that line why didn't they write any lines um yeah but yeah this is the first episode where they've sung a song that isn't one of theirs mm. and it's from this uh, sort of compilation album called abba mania which was released in 1999 yeah. And yeah, we were talking about this the other day because it wasn't just an album. There was also a TV special on ITV, which I've never seen, but oh, I watched it earlier so today. Good. There's a um there's a Twitter profile called um Pop Activism, and it's a guy mm-hmm. who goes back and tries getting all of these um old albums from the eighties and nineties that haven't made their way into a digital format. So they're not on Apple Music or Spotify. And like one of the holy grails to get on streaming is Abamania. But it will never be there because A, like ABBA hold the copyrights to everything and they're quite quite stingy. Um but B, it's like an album that's got oh everywhere like Westlife, Denise Van Outen, uh, Martin McCutcheon, Steps, Bewitched, The Cause, um, Cleopatra, who are amazing. I love Cleopatra. <laughs> so it's this amazing kind of Abermania album that's come off the back of a TV show called Abermania that was on like ITV around the same time as Miami 7, I think, in the, the late 90s. Yeah, S Club aren't in the TV special, which I was disappointed by. Oh. But may- maybe they weren't big enough at the time if it was literally the year that they you know, started. Maybe they weren't considered big enough to be on the TV special. I'm not sure. Well, you say that, but they have got like Denise Van Outen doing a song and... <laughs> oh God, yeah. I, I watched this today and I've made some notes because uh, I like to do my research for this podcast. But yeah, it's on YouTube if anyone wants to watch it. Um, you said you've seen it before. Do you remember watching it like at the time? I Now I'm trying to work out whether I do remember seeing it live or whether I just... Because like I was saying, it was more than just this one show. It was, it was an album. It was all over the radios. There's also Brit Awards... Uh, 2000 performance of Thank Abba for the Music and that had Steps, yeah. Tina Cousin, Cleopatra, Bewitched 
Billy was in that as well. Um, mm, so they yeah, had like that this too, yeah. big performance of it. So I don't know whether or not, I remember I was, a you know, like 17, 18 at the time. So this was not really a priority for me. And uh, <laughs> I sort of like, <laughs> go, you know, kind of uh, all the fun that I was having at the same time did include probably quite a lot of S Club but I can't piece together whether or not I watch these things. But I do remember some of the performances and I remember like Denise did Gimme, 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 I think. Yeah, in a sort of blue cat suit. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like so, so strange. But like Abbott always comes around every seven or eight years in some capacity. And I think this was just at that moment because we'd had so I should also kind of full disclaimer I'm a massive Eurovision nerd so mm-hmm. ABBA are always on my radar radar but like um we had a bit of an ABBA resurgence in the early 90s so there was Bjorn again um there was the ABBA SGP by Erasure there was a big sort of ABBA explosion ABBA Gold was re-released and that got really big and then it goes quiet mm-hmm. for a bit and then it picks up again ABBA Mania that disappears and then Mamma Mia came out a little bit later, that disappears, and then they, mm-hmm. you know, pop up in another guise. So it's sometimes really hard to pinpoint where the sort of churn of ABBA is uh, in in both my brain and in just popular culture, mm-hmm. because they're just ubiquitous, aren't they? Yeah, this TV special, I've I've written a few things down because it is is strange viewing. Um, Yeah, Denise Van Outen performs in it, but she's also the presenter. Yeah. It's very innuendo-y throughout the whole thing, and I'm not sure what time (laughs) this was on TV, but it seems like a family show. But Steps perform, and then she has a little chat with them. She asks them if they've ever played any musical instruments. Uh, (laughs) Lee says, I used to play the saxophone. And she goes, oh, sexy. Would you like to play my maracas? And then, like, shakes her (laughs) chest at him. Oh, no. What's his reaction? (laughs) Sort of polite response. (gasps) Then uh, Madness sing money 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 and kind of manage to make it sound like every other madness song and they changed the words if i got me a wealthy man to if i was a a wealthy man because can't possibly have that couldn't possibly Um, have that no (laughs) but then immediately afterwards we get boy george who's like surrounded by sort of shirtless men writhing around at the end yeah, he. Oh, what, I can't remember what he sings now. Voulez vous, I think. Ah, uh, right. Okay. I think his performance was one of my favourites. Um, but yeah, at the end of it, Denise Van Outen comes on and goes. <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing now reading this. Denise Van Outen comes on and goes. Four lots of sexy bodies there. That's what I like. <laughs> Oh, I love Denise Van Outen so much. What was 1999? What was going on? I mean, well, this would have been after, do you remember The Big Breakfast at all? I've heard of it, but I don't really remember it, to be honest, no. Oh, man. So, like, it was, it was, we were at the tail end of, like, that lad culture and the ladette culture where you had, you know, Radio 1 DJs turning up uh, turning up to work in the boot of a car. You had Loaded Magazine. It was all very, uh, Mm -hmm. sort of, men behaving badly. And the Big Breakfast really was sort of a microcosm of that. And you had uh, Denise Van Outen and Johnny Vaughan. Um, Right. that's, That's how she was at, like... 6.30 in the morning to 9 in the morning. It was brilliant because, you know, as a, again, as I was saying, being a teenager at the time, having to go to sixth form and stuff, waking up and just seeing this absolute 
trash telly <laughs> like that just shouldn't <laughs> have existed um was kind of incredible and i think she kept up that sort of uh that camp and innuendo filled personality throughout the you know most of her career i don't know what she's doing now apart from the matalan adverts is she still saucy she was on uh she was on the masked singer a few months ago <gasps> was she who was she she wasn't the bee she was that the, was the fox the fox of course she was the fox <laughs> the, the silver fox yeah yeah i love denise van outen she but there's another bit as well marty mccutcheon sings mamma mia and then again, there's a little chat with Denise at the end. She keeps asking everyone if they can play any musical instruments. <laughs> um, I'm not sure why it's relevant. Uh, but Marty McCutcheon says, no, but I wish I had. And Denise goes, yeah, because they come in handy, don't they? Instruments. And sort of winks <laughs> at the camera. And it's just like that throughout the whole hour. Amazing. <laughs> In between these really kind of sincere performances with like like Stephen Gately's on yes. there singing Chickatita. He does Chickatita. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to go back and watch all of this because I've like, in my head, I can definitely, I remember the Brit Awards performance, the Thank Abba for the music stuff that they did. Yeah. Which was with Tina Cousins and Cleopatra and co. But some of it, again, 20 years ago, I think I need to go back and refresh my memory. Chickatita. Oh and, my God. And uh, <laughs> Ste- Steps sing I Know Him So Well, which I yeah. do remember because I guess that must have been on one of their albums because i was a big steps fan as well as yeah school, yeah really but so i do remember steps covering that that might have even been the first time i heard i know him so well the original yeah. version <laughs> who does the um the male parts in i know him so well no there's not it's two women isn't it so what do it's Lee two and women H and do? they they sh- uh i think just sort of sway around and do backing <laughs> vocals <laughs> Simpler so times. yeah, anyway, that's Abomania. That's Abomania. <laughs> so, just to kind of to, if you want more kind of Abomania fun, a few years later, they also did Grease Mania, which was the exact same premise, but with like a different set of pop stars. I don't know if Denise oh, wow. Van Outen presented it, but it, it, yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. So I'll definitely have to look that up. ITV do some weird stuff sometimes. They uh, They did something called the all-star impressions show which was a one-off like this (laughs) and i i remember watching this at the time when i was a teenager so i guess it must have been sort of early mid 2000s and i found it on youtube quite recently and sort of live tweeted it because it's so insane (laughs) i I encourage you to look it up the premise is that it's celebrities doing impressions of other celebrities and it's hosted by Stephen Mulhern. Oh, of, of course. course it is. <laughs> and it's just, it's genuinely the most bizarre thing you'll ever see because the people they've got on there and the people they're trying to impersonate, none of it makes any sense. Oh. Uh, I'll, I won't go on about this too much, but my favourite bit is the finale of the show because it's a lineup of people impersonating Tom Jones singing <laughs> It's It's Not Unusual. <laughs> One of them is Les Dennis. I can't remember who the what? others are, but they're singing "It's Not Unusual," like what doing a line each, and then suddenly at the back <laughs> of the stage, there's an explosion. The doors open, and you think for a second, "Oh, is this going to be like the actual Tom Jones? Is that going to be the finale?" It's no. David Guest. Yes, <laughs> David's dead. Oh no! <laughs> but it's so bizarre. And David Guest then comes on, and Stephen Mulhern goes, "David Guest, ladies and gentlemen," <laughs> like he's the the big finale guest that we've all been waiting oh. for. And he he joins in with the song and absolutely murders it. 
course and it's he does. Just, it's absolute gold. And I think I'm the only person who remembers the show, but it's on YouTube. And yeah, if you like things like, yeah, look up Abermania, anyone listening, look up Abermania and then look up the all-star impressions show. And it's it's just hilarious trash. Please welcome, yeah, come on, our contestants. I do love that kind of I live for it like there's um have you seen there's a stars in their eyes like 1991 Christmas special or something and they do uh band-aid but with like all the (laughs) terrible I'm just here for any any bullshit like that I love so much Oh yeah, I should do a, a Stars in Their Eyes rewatch podcast. I'd love that. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. That would be incredible. I've just looked up as well the um the Grease Mania and S Club Seven don't appear on it. We're in two thousand and three, and S Club Eight are doing Tears on My Pillow. Um, oh right. You've also got There Are Worse Things I Could Do by Lisa Scott Lee. <laughs> I think I watched this. I think yeah, I would have been. 11 at the time so i might i think i yeah. might have watched that this rings a bell yeah i mean this is perfect for an 11 year old i mean it's uh tony hadley doing beauty school dropout cheeky girls <laughs> doing we go together lovely oh no <laughs> so i just wonder how these shows come about it's like because you know what we were saying about the is it that they got the license to use one Abatrack, which are really hard to get hold of, I think. And they thought, right, this is what we're going to use it for. Or did they, I mean, they can't have written the script to Bermuda Triangle and then got the rights for, you know, Dancing Queen Abba would never have said yes to that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I reckon, yeah, the band kind of do one song per episode. They didn't, they only had one album on the go at the time. So they probably needed extra songs. There's a few episodes where they do like B sides from singles. So they're not even album mm. songs. So I guess they just sort of grasped any song they could. And yeah, da- if they recorded Dancing Queen for this album, I guess, yeah, that's probably how it did come about, I think. Good. Ex- well, I'm glad it came about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, going back to this, this episode, um, they perform Dancing Queen, they finish the performance and the crowd goes wild. Um, and this is where the band decide that they should probably try to get back to 1999 now. Mm. Uh, Catherine says goodbye to Bradley in a sort of romantic way. And she's like, oh, but I don't understand. Why can't we be together? 
they're quite a nice little moment. They have a little kiss before he goes and joins everyone else, don't they? Oh, yeah. And he gives a real bullshit excuse. I can't remember what he says, but I was like, come on, Brad, just try. Yeah, he doesn't. He says something about like, oh, I, I live really far away or something yeah, like that. I can't explain it. And you just have to trust me. She doesn't have to trust you. She doesn't know you. Like, um, I don't know. Typical Bradley. She's, pro- she's probably scarred now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she doesn't end up with Howard, which is good. Yeah, because as they're sort of leaving on the boat, we see them, don't they? They're on mm. the jetty and Howard is sort of on his knees begging her and she just rejects him. So they didn't manage to change anything. If anything, they might have accelerated the whole process made, because made Bradley was in the picture. <laughs> yeah, and by the time that they get back, uh, Howard's even more aggressive. So I, I think they've probably done themselves in. Yeah. And I like how when they get in the boat and they want to get back, they just kind of start start shouting at the sky, yeah. like, take <laughs> us back. Like They don't know how it works. And they end up going into the, the big mist again. Yeah. And that's when they wake up in their normal outfits. I mean, again, along with geography, meteorology is not one of their strong points because <laughs> I think Bradley says something along the lines of, Oh, it's, it's getting close to midnight. We should probably go. And yet like there's these really long shadows and bright sunlight. <laughs> like, oh, what? Yeah. Not great. And when they get back at first, they're kind of like, Oh, that was a weird dream. And Joe goes, it wasn't a dream. We filmed it. And she gets out the camera, but it's all just blank, apparently blank footage. And th- they suddenly go, why is Hannah taller? And she's not that noticeably no. taller, to be honest, <laughs> to warrant that reaction. But it's because she's still wearing the platform heels. Yeah. And so they decide, oh, it did really happen. And that's when they kind of think, oh, maybe we have changed something. But then as they pull in, Howard is there kind of screaming at them and saying, you can't have a day off. I've changed my mind. <laughs> and Paul goes, oh, well, that answers that question. And then that's it. We get Dancing Queen over the credits. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's a it's very cluttered this episode, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to have to go back and watch some other episodes because I do remember enjoying it quite a lot. Um and I think that's maybe a weird one uh to kind of dive in on and uh, reminisce about, but uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. They do vary because yeah, you get some episodes with quite sort of grounded plots like oh hannah is flirting with a local lifeguard and then you get this sort of extreme where they go back in time or there's one where they're shooting a tv show called alien hunter at the hotel and they're all working as extras it really sort of varies from episode to episode in terms of what's going on yeah yeah and is there an arc i can't remember do they well, well I, at the end of the series, it, like, yeah, at the end of the series, they leave Miami and go to LA for some right. reason, because like, I, I haven't watched the finale yet. Um, but yeah, for some reason, they move on to a different location for the next series. So I guess we'll see. Um, mm. Any sort of last thoughts on this episode before we finish? Not really. I mean, um, yeah, I'm, look, I'm I'm glad it's reminded me that um, Abermania and Greasemania and what's that show? <laughs> The miming show? The all-star <laughs> impressions show. <laughs> Look, I've been doing um, kind of rewatches of old Eurovision episodes for the past mm-hmm. 11 weeks uh, uh, over lockdown. So like my absolute favourite thing to do is to go back and watch 
crap TV in the context of, of now from the year that it was in. So mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was really lovely watching that, uh, the Bermuda Triangle episode again and just, um, yeah, getting a bit, a bit teary about how two decades have passed since that head. And, you know, yeah. It's, and it's, as you said, we're further from them yeah. than they were from the seventies at the time. Right. And we're making fun of them in the way that they were making fun of the seventies. It's all going full circle, which is, uh, <laughs> kind of, kind of scary. But yeah, I will definitely go back and watch um, watch those shows. I um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Great. So before we finish, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? And is there anything like your Eurovision stuff that you want to point people towards? Yeah, uh, if anyone wants to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Rob Holly. Um, I've also got a podcast where I interview uh, Eurovision contestants. That's called Vision Again. Um, and you can find that on all the usual podcasty places. And for the next, oh, goodness knows how long, we're doing Saturday night rewatches of the Eurovision Song Contest uh, with the EBU, um, which you can find at Eurovision again, or use the hashtag Eurovision again. Um, that will be going on until Christmas time. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's an S-Pod Thing. It was edited by Alex Blondek with music by William Kitchener. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to let us know that we're your number one, please subscribe and leave us a good review. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.